0: Welcome to the Grow With It podcast, a podcast about operationalizing your data to grow faster. My name is Michael Sharkey, co-founder and CEO of Auto, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jesus Raquina, VP of Growth at Figma. Our goal is that you leave each episode with practical and actionable insights from leading experts in data and growth. Let's get into this week's episode.
1: Well, Nish, having you here, I miss you. Nish and I <laughs> uh, work, work at Unity for a while, Mike, and, and he was one of my key partners in thinking how we scale the sales team. So it's been a while, Nish, what have you, you been up yeah. to? I, I
2: want to say I miss working with you too. I, one of the things that I loved working with Jesus about was, you know, there, there are a lot of rules in like bigger companies, but he was kind of like, let's let's check off the rules that we have to meet and let's just like go out and do shit. And so I really uh, miss working with, with people like that. But now at a startup, I feel like everybody works like that. So I,
1: I think it's uh, been a nice change of pace. We were, we were running a startup within a larger organization. I think the company was already in the thousands of employees, right? Yeah. Oh,
0: we're yeah. Doing
1: that stuff, yeah.
0: I've always Breaking noticed the... that with larger companies, there's always like sort of pirates in the organization who are the ones that get all the things done and like just find ways to, to like circumvent all the rules.
1: Exactly, and th- those are the people that bring innovation. It's so bizarre that there is then large corporations create these innovation hubs or startup hubs within the organization just to have people with no rules. It's, it's pretty funny.
2: Well, and now their org structure is trying to like re- reflect that, right? Like that's what Amazon does. With their like, you know, a, a team has to be able to be fed by like two pizzas or or whatever. They're trying to like create that culture and like drive that kind of behavior, which I think is genius.
0: Danish, last time we talked, you I mean, you kind of summed these problems up pretty well throughout your career, how you were you were going into larger organizations and you know in a growth role and they had all this data that you could um potentially exploit. And of uh, like this podcast really is about how people are operationalizing data and using data to grow. Um, can you talk us through your history and how you've dealt with, with data throughout your career?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, a little background on myself. My first job out of uh, out of school was doing sales. So sales, account management, not really working with a lot of data, but I quickly realized that data was where there was a lot of power. And so I went to business school, I did consulting for about three and a half to four years, really focused on using data to understand businesses and help them grow, moved into biz ops, helped a, a startup uh, grow from you know five hundred to now fifteen hundred plus people wise. Line. Using a lot of data, establishing the data platform that they use to make decisions, and then joining Unity, where I obviously I worked with Azus to help them grow, uh, join pre-IPO, post-IPO, they're gigantic now. And the thing that I've seen is regardless of the company, both the, the companies I've worked at and the companies I've helped, they all actually have more data than they realize. And they all really struggle with operationalizing data. And I believe they like struggle because there's really like two functions when it comes to data. One is the You know, it's the consistent, uh, like the transporting and like the creation of data sets. So think of that as like the data teams that create these pipelines. They take data from one place to another, whether it's centralized or separated. That's not what we're talking about when we're operationalizing data, right? Because that's like just like creating data to be operationalized. What we're talking about when we're we're talking about operationalizing data is using that data for uh, decision making or initiatives or, you know, executives love being opportunistic right? Like they'll see an opportunity in the market, whether like a, a the, the world is going into a recession or whether uh, you're going into COVID, you have all this great data and information, but you and you want to use that to like help your company succeed and position itself well. And it's that being decisive and using that information for a purpose where I think a lot of companies uh, struggle. Now, when it comes to that, um, what I, again, like companies have more data than they realize, but I think there's a couple of challenges that keep them from really using that information. One is accessing data, right? Like the data is everywhere. Sometimes you need specific skill sets to access it. Second is privacy and security, especially now people care more about it. Companies care more about it. Governments care more about it. And so people are also afraid to touch the data. Uh, And then there's like, what I think is honestly really, really important, but doesn't get enough attention, which is like trust in the data, right? Uh, And that's because people don't understand like the definitions of data. If I told you, that, you know, we had a thousand monthly active users last month, you know, what is active? Like what is a user? And then like using that data, there's a, there's a genuine lack of trust in data and, and people have been burned by it. So they ask a lot of questions which slow things down and cause a lot of analysis paralysis. So one of the really important things that companies can do is set the right framework structure and accountability, like put that in place so that people can use the data and operationalize it and, and drive impact, right? I don't know, what have you, Jesus, does
1: this resonate, Mike? I think so. I think one of the things, and this topic is like like every day, like every single company that I work with. Yeah. And one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, I think leaders need to take the leadership to really distill that data and understand like how it's defined and then lead the definition of those metrics and literally share that with the team. as like, this is what we're focusing on. This is what it means. And just double down on that. Because if you don't have a leader that owns that and drive it, then you come into this analysis paralysis because you have one leader here looking at one set of data, one another one looking for another angle. It's almost like the only places where I've seen this working really well is where a leader owns the data for a specific area of the business and then finance and data are supporting that to say this is it. It's like a single source of truth for that area of the business, whether it's signups, activations, product data, sales pipeline, you name it, yeah. pick one. I think uh, you, one
0: of the problems with it like you're saying is like that like at least what I see today is there's just no <laughs> obvious place to store a lot of this stuff that is accessible to teams. That, that like that's the big thing I see with what I do is that, that more advanced or larger organizations are using something like Snowflake or, you know, some sort of custom data warehouse, just dumping hordes of data in. Yeah. Um. all the time. And then, you know, you get these individualized teams who would like to access that data, but for whatever reason, there are like privacy, security constraints or problems to be able to just try things with it or or at least question the data and see, you know, can they answer a question uh, from it or can they discover things that they didn't already know? And I think that's one of the things that definitely causes the paralysis is you you kind of like, there's no obvious place. And I think you said you were talking about it, one of the companies you worked at you were using Salesforce or you, you had Salesforce going and like even the sales reps they didn't really have access to the full full picture and like this is one of the things that these companies promote like this full 360 view but yeah. yeah a lot of the time you don't really have it like no like everyone talks like it's some solved problem but in my experience when you go and look at a lot of these companies or or talk talk to them and work with them like I do it's it, it like no one's doing it that great
2: yeah I think what it comes down to is that a lot of companies, they struggle to find a person within a specific function or department to own the data, right? Like you can have a data team build out a dashboard for sales and say, this is all your Salesforce data, in a like easy to consume Looker or Tableau dashboard. And sales will look at it and say, like, I don't know how to use this. It's not relevant to me because that information is being put together by somebody that can't actually represent their needs, right? And... Sales also having access to the data and being able to look at the data. Looking at the data for the sake of looking at the data doesn't really achieve any objective. The, the question is, what are they going to do with the data? How is it going to drive a KPI or specific objective? And then who is going to like reflect that, uh, the importance of it to, from sales, from the other leaders that Jesus was talking about, and make it happen with the data? I think that's what's missing in a lot of organizations, that ownership, that, that accountability, and like a, a quarterback for the data.
1: And as you, you talked to me and I was probably present for some of those, some some, some of those things that we did with data Unity, where we were trying to solve a problem and then we went on trying to identify sort of what data we needed. So it's almost like we yeah. were trying to bring business value through looking at some data. Like, why don't you share some some of those?
2: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll share an example that's like near and dear to my heart. So I, I love Unity, right? Unity is a huge uh, company in the gaming uh, world. I learned English. Uh, you know, playing video games. So for me, like gaming was always something that I cared about. And when I was joining Unity, one of the things that I was super excited about was this idea of like having this like games database. I was like, wow, I could, I, I'm i going to be able to see every game that's like ever been made, who made it, like what the team size was, uh, and really like understand the the field inside and out. I come to realize that having joined Unity, that that doesn't exist, right? And I have friends at, you know, billion-dollar companies, trillion-dollar valuation companies, and it doesn't exist there either. And... The problem is that this data is often external and it's like incredibly messy, right? Like it's just not clean. And so one of the things that I was responsible for at unity that I think added a ton of value is building out this games database, understanding what games are on the market with a a pretty good level of precision, understanding what engines they were built by, what tech stacks they were using, uh, what platforms they were on and really unlocking a ton of value and a ton of opportunity. Now, that data set, like we constructed for a particular purpose. But you better believe that throughout the entire process of building it up, I went and I got excitement from everybody else who could also use that uh, data set as well.
0: So yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting idea because I think a lot of people look at data from the point of like the data that their customers are generating or that they're generating in their business. But often there are data sets out there that can really give you a competitive advantage. I know that's how... The customer support stuff where gorgeous initially grew was through them saying okay you know there's all these shopify stores using zendesk but zendesk isn't really tailored towards towards shopify so they just went and found like all of these shopify stores yeah. that were using zendesk and just focused on that for like a very significant period of time and just started to win win that market with that data set um was that something at unity like understanding that that database of games then like what did you do with that data like what was your goal
2: yeah so let me let me go into a little bit uh, more detail so uh, unity they're an, a game engine company right so uh, the people that use the game engine are game developers and unity sells them seats unity has a 70 percent market share of all games that are made so that means Most games that you know of are built on Unity. So for Unity to keep continuing to grow, they have to know who are the studios that aren't building on Unity and how big is their team size roughly, right? That was the big opportunity, continuing to grow the engine business. But at the same time, Unity also had cloud, like uh, a cloud product, in-game communication product, and other products. So the real opportunity was understanding the, the vast studio landscape and what kind of products could be placed there. That was the goal. It was tied to revenue and it was tied to, to growth. What we were really trying to crack, knowing that we had a, a pretty dominant share in uh, mobile, was what are the PC and console developers and who could we go after? And so I'll, I'll actually, I can outline exactly how uh, we built out that game uh,
0: database, if that helps. Is that gonna help? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear. It's something yeah. I I wanna hear. Okay. <laughs> Just so, do it for um, me, I don't even care. <laughs> okay. so. Uh, we did a couple
2: things. The first thing we did was we took a look at what uh, existing information we had. And Jesus and I did a piece of work where we actually built an engine to scrape the web to identify all the studios in the that we could online. Uh, and that was a great piece of work to get started. But we couldn't get down to the game level. Now, when to try to understand the game level information, you obviously, want to look at what's been out there, what's created. So, we did a quick survey and we found that Amazon owned a company called IGDB, Internet Games Database. There's a company called Giant Bomb. There's a company called ROG. There's all these companies that are putting together information on what games are out there. And they all collect the information differently, right? Some are middleware between uh, game launchers, some are community sourced. And uh, what it comes down to at first is collecting this information and, and rationalizing what is going to be the highest quality uh, set of information. Now, next to that, there are game like, platforms or uh, game retailers like Steam, Epic Games, and they're selling games, and they have to maintain information on what uh, the price of a game is, when it was launched, who the developer is, and because they're tied to specific development accounts, you have pretty good sense of uh, information. And then internally at Unity, we also have our own information based on who we're selling to, you know, ad revenue, uh, who's buying seats from us, potentially what they can be using it for their projects. The challenge was we had to get all of that together. And so what we started off by doing was, this is where that excitement piece came together. We talked to all the different stakeholders that would benefit from this. We got excitement and tried to understand what they really wanted. Then we mapped out and created this like mock data set of like, what could really add value? And then I went around and I got excitement and I got support for it. Having got support, then we could get the resources needed to be able to fill in the gaps because you know, Steam isn't gonna share all their their data. Uh, These other data vendors don't have perfectly clean information. But if we can get the Steam set of information, which is PC games, use the games database set of information to uh, marry it with other platforms that the games are on, and then use the app store set of information to fill in the mobile information, you're starting to look at a pretty complete set of uh, games information. And because Steam has actual package level information, you can actually start seeing what engine they're on, what like cloud provider they're on. And by marrying it with internal data, you actually get a pretty like 90, 95% realistic like view
0: of like the game's landscape. And even imagine too, like understanding just market share just in general, like instead of estimating it, you're like, this is our market share.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, like, it's so funny. Like so many companies talk about this town and they're like made up numbers. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and then and then you have like product they marketing. They've just clearly done about- this in a deck. <laughs> and then you have program marketing talking to you about the obtainable market and it's about who are these people and it's so funny like i've done this a few times already not just with niche but in my career and it becomes so tangible when you can go into your security team and say forget about the time we know who these people are these are actually domains and not only we know who they are we know things about the business that we know who is ready for us i think that that's what any growth marketeer should be thinking about or go to market team Per se, um, and I think I think Nish did an amazing job going to that level.
0: Yeah, it's funny. No one really talks about market mapping, do they? It's all about like total addressable market, put a figure on it, and then it's like away you go. But like it seems yeah. like a lot of this data is like re- pretty much out there if you go hunting.
2: The the thing about numbers like Sam and Tam and, and Sam is sometimes they're like vanity numbers, right? Uh, you want the street, or you want your leadership or your boss to like buy into bigger numbers because. It uh creates this sometimes illusion, but sometimes uh realistic like potential out there. Like it, it's a it's a nice number to look at. When you have a realistic number of like who's out there and what the opportunity is, it's so grounded and so actionable. Like you can actually like if you you can actually drive results with that. If you take a TAM to a sales team, like they roll their eyes, right? Like they don't actually believe that information. And like that faith like, yeah. is 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 so important in it, being able to. To drive
1: results, it gets even better. Like a good company normally will have like a set of accounts. If you have a set, you sales lead your sales team will have a set of accounts. Um, even yeah. if you product led your product team has a set of accounts in your user base. Normally, the set of accounts is really incomplete. It might be in the you know less below two figures percentage. So, when you do something like what we're describing, you can show sales like you know what there's more accounts out there that you have no idea. And that becomes an incredible, powerful go-to-market alignment point for all the teams, like even marketing. Like classic story of marketing bringing leads from accounts that no one cares about, it. like just just from the book. Is
0: this like a good VP of sales working with a like a growth marketer? Like how does this structure? Because you talk about like data, data halfback, and then you know this setup internally. Like how? Like if someone is sitting out there going, "Oh, this is actually good. I need to go like map my market and and do this." Who who does it?
1: it you hire someone really de- like niche. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> it it depends. Like every every company is is different. Um, sometimes it could be a, a biz ops team. Sometimes it could be you know a chief of staff to somebody on a sales org. Sometimes it's the the marketing team. But you need somebody that is accountable that has their performance uh, tied to it, and somebody that's like empowered. So they like. I wouldn't have been able to do that without building excitement from the data science team and the the data team that we had. Like I needed more technical people to get involved and help me understand what was realistic and and what wasn't. And so it's like, honestly, it takes partnership, but also ownership. And I believe that you have to have like a one point of contact that owns it end to end.
0: What were the main, like once you had the data in place and you knew like, you know, these are the people either using Unity or potentially could use it in the future, then what? Like, what do you do with it?
2: Yeah. So it actually starts before having that set of information. What we did at Unity was we pulled in the sales org. Like, we had the SDRs ready to go. We had sales ready to go. We had them chomping at the bit because if we could say these are companies without that don't use Unity, they have released a game three years ago or they've just released a game, meaning they're going to start their next game now, this is an opportunity for you. That That's like dollars for them. The way it works at Unity is, you know, if you start building a game, you're not going to change or you're not going to choose a new engine for three years. So by looking at when the game was released, we could also tell our team that these are going to be real opportunities for you this year or, or next year. And so that was really powerful. And that starts actually before creating a product. We always create a data product with the end in mind and with the user and the objective in mind. So we didn't have any anything new to do we just had to ship what we promised
0: what about updating it over time because i'd imagine that sort of event-based data or activity data of like you know they just launched a game like those moments i know with like clearbit you can have things like signals of like if someone changes jobs right like you can be aware of that it it, was that something you were looking at is like updating that over time yeah it was fully uh,
2: maintained so there was a piece of it that scraped it and kept updating it. Um, we had a data provider. Their data kept being updated. We had internal data that was synced to it. We were using uh, Aptopia and Sensor uh, Tower data for the mobile mobile store data. It was all interconnected and continuously updated over time. So if a game came out yesterday, you'd be able to see it today.
0: And then in terms of like, okay, you now know someone's ready to like create the next game. You want to introduce Unity. Like what does that communication look like? Like how do you get in front of those people? How do you like talk to them, did you follow it through in terms of a process or were you just supplying that to sales?
2: We were supplying that. And the way that we would do it is we would take a lot of that information and provide it to the sales and SDR team. SDR team would put them in a campaign and, and reach out to them and try to generate leads. But the, the really successful salespeople were on top of that data and they were able to work their contacts within the industry to try to like open a door for them. Right? Uh, game studios are really hard to crack. They don't go through like a, you know, vendor procurement process. They don't, they're not on LinkedIn, right? It's uh, it's very much like an artistic passion field. They don't, like, they're not paying themselves like 200K a year. It's a it's it's a really tough nut to crack, and that's why having people that are from the field, that are experienced, and have networks makes such a big difference.
0: Yeah, so they're not out there sending like in mails like, "Hey, no. I see you're building a game."
2: <laughs> no, they're not. They're not doing that. I'm sure they're also doing that, but I don't know if that's as expect- effective. Though I have to say, I know that we had some great reps that would reach out to uh, a developer and say, "Hey, I played your game. I loved it. Why'd you do this design? Uh, why'd you make this design choice over another?" And they get a ton of engagement because developers love talking about their their baby, right? Like that's their baby to them.
0: So you mentioned last time we talked about um, that workflow for sales reps. Like how do you actually get them engaged with this data? Because that's another problem. And I think you touched on it a little bit earlier. Like they don't really, yeah, like what, you know, like how do you show them it's important to them? How do you give them the cues they need to to do this stuff? Is that something that you thought about or was it more just here's the data?
2: There's another project that's like a, a great example of this. Uh, Jesus, have you ever talked about the the compliance work we did together?
1: A little bit, maybe not in these podcasts, but I've mentioned that. Of
2: time. I'll, I'll go over it real quick. So uh, Unity is free to use unless you're making over 200k. So a lot of people are using it; they don't even know you need to be paying for it. And I worked with Jesus, and we built out a program to be able to identify people that are over the threshold and to reach out to them and just to like educate them and bring them into compliance. Not a sexy program. sales reps didn't didn't really want to do it. That is until a few people started doing it and started seeing money. They started seeing success and dollars, and then all of a sudden, before end of quarter hits, people start reaching out to us and they're like, "When can we get this data updated? When is this going to be updated? Which ones are mine?" And then they were like fighting over leads with, with in in this compliance list. So as long as like you can prove results and with data like if it's not working, like, there's no hard feelings. Iterate and iterate until
1: you see results and or move on. Uh, when people start seeing results, they'll they'll pay notice. We actually build that data into our own dashboard. I don't think even... even we didn't even use Look or something. I think we got some engineers to build some dashboards. Um, and I have really funny examples. I think we were... At some point, we were, like, sending emails to the admin of the company and say, hey, you have this number of users. They're active. Because we were serving all the information to Sell. So Sell will grab that data, put in an email, send an email to the user and say, like, hey... And I think maybe you're not under the compliance and the legal team is giving me some, you know, heads up. And it was so funny. We learned that like, one, some people would get really pissed off. Some people would get embarrassed, and then they would go and delete the users and say, no, I don't have any of that problem. We'll go back and look at the data, and the, and the users were gone or something like that. We learned all sort of crap like doing, doing those experiments. It was so funny. But I think at some point, they nailed it to each point. I think they learned how to do the sequences, and they were using the data in the right way. And they, I think a few million dollars would drop from that. Yeah probably yeah 10 plus or something.
2: Yeah. It was definitely millions of dollars by the time I'd left and for this year we were forecasting many more. So it was a it was a huge huge opportunity and sales also in perfecting that art got really good at cross-selling to these people. Like they got really good at selling other products into people that are that we're identifying as like breaking the rules. So it was just like a tremendous opportunity for that. Yeah,
0: so you're really looking for like land and expand, like someone like just picking it up and going, we should try this Um, and just getting it done. Yeah, it's pirates, I'm telling you.
1: It's so funny because there's so many companies out there that um, to niche point that have a lot of data, but they don't actually operationalize the data. So in a way that is actually um, intuitive or digestible in the sales motion. I I deal with that in my last two companies I work with, where the sales team in this PLG companies, the sales team might have data about the usage, the product usage, but they don't know how to translate it into selling a message to the individuals. So you might have an account that has X number of free users or X number of paying users until you go into a level of granularity where you're telling them, no, actually, it's not about the usage, the number of users, something more concrete, for example, they have X number of whatever components or X number of files or doing something that is not productive for them internally and then mapping the messaging to something that the sales can use to tell them actually other companies are doing this better here's a better way we in my last two companies uh, we spent quite a bit of time trying to nail that um, messaging framework for sales So, so the point is it's not only about serving data to sales; it's about telling them what messaging comes from that data. Mm -hmm. The the example of the compliance from Unity was a lot of that. A lot of trial and error until we figure it out.
0: A lot of the history of it, though, I think is like really interesting why that's still a problem. Because I know like the early marketing software that everyone was using, it was all campaign-driven, list-driven, and about like opens clicks, like all those things. And I mean, there's still a little importance in it, but there's always just been this complete disconnect with the data structure in these businesses of product data because like segment kind of came out of nowhere everyone's like oh okay let's track events now and everyone started tracking events and then these guys were clamoring to try and figure out i mean including us back in the day like how do you actually work with this data and like mesh it all together and a lot of the early stuff was pretty simplistic where you just it was like they have or have not done this and where it really counts, like you're saying, to operationalize it is sort of understanding the frequency of time of it. Like, are they doing this, or have they done this now? Or in the Unity example, like, did they just launch their new game? Like that real-time nature of it and the the frequency and time behavior of product events is so critical to yeah. to getting an outcome from those interactions. Otherwise, like, it's just you're too, too slow.
1: Well, I'll give you a good example. One of the things that we explore in my current company is to take that product data and then help the rep understand what the benefit is. And then we have outreach templates. We're going to have outreach template prepared to push the data directly from the event data into the outreach template. So they can have almost like custom emails talking about the use case and the benefit all automated. So imagine, so it, again, back to the point of the old days at Unity, we will take a screenshot of something i think these days growth teams or go-to-market teams can get way smarter
0: yeah like our highest like highest performing message we send in trial right now is a like a mid trial like here's what you've done so far i mean it's completely wired up into the event-driven data of like you know this is like how many journeys or whatever you've created and people go nuts for it it blows my mind still to this day (laughs) people just like seeing what they've accomplished in an email and think it's fascinating but it does show that like yeah like understanding the like who who you're targeting and what information they're interested in is is pretty key to this stuff. Nish, tell us about what you're doing now because I think that's super exciting and interesting and like from that like like from all your lessons, what are you doing differently starting starting your own company? So, I'm one of the founders
2: of a company called Nimbus. What we do is we let developers code on the cloud on on a cloud environment that's already configured so they don't ever have to worry about having enough power from their laptops or their battery draining or their environment breaking. It just lets them get to work. And we're a small company, but we have more data than we can touch. Like realistically, any company has more data than than we can touch. But what we're really focused on right now is getting feedback from the market. We want to build the best product and that means we need to talk to people. And so we've been really focused on reaching out to people, interviewing people from a product perspective and getting information that way. And, you know, there are a lot of tools and there's a lot of data for that. Uh, the tool that we're using right now is called Ample Market. I don't know if uh, you guys are, are familiar with Ample Market. I don't know. Like I think they're a series A. They're, they're pretty small, but they're like a compound startup. So instead of going to somebody for your outreach and going to somebody for you know, your mail uh, deliverability service and whatnot, they kind of bring it all together. And what we're doing with them is using them to find uh, keywords in people's LinkedIn, right? And so we are focused on talking to the right people, looking, picking out keywords, uh, picking out people's activity on LinkedIn, and talking to them, people that care about what we're doing and want to have a voice in the room and a voice in what the future looks like is who we're reaching out to. And they're helping us build a product that makes cloud development seamless and easy for people like them. And as a startup that's focusing on you know, that curve, where that innovator pers- like point of view, that's been really, really valuable for us. And at the same time, obviously, you're talking about event data. We're using a ton of our data on what people are actually doing in our product to try to fo- double down on what they care about and drop what, what they're not. And that's the beauty of a startup. You can just yeah. really focus.
0: I think it's so interesting early to have that data available, like just seeing it because like you can build so many stupid features no one ever wants or uses and have no idea. Like Eventually, too, as you scale, like you just literally cannot Talk to that many people after a while, where you, you get a true understanding of it. But yeah, it's. I mean, I, it, as someone who's familiar with the with the problem, it it's very cool what you're doing. I'm excited to to see what happens there because it's a big issue. Just spinning up dev environments. I mean, it's a it's a pain. Like you you spend so long onboarding new. Devs just getting their machines set up correctly, having a virtual environment, like, and just giving them access to, like, powerful computers is pretty cool.
2: You know, what I find, like, really cool is some people are really interested in it from, like, a a productivity perspective. And obviously, that's, like, what what we care about as well. But what I love is our CTO, for example, he worked off of an iPad uh, from an RV for, like, six months. (laughs) Like... I love all these people
0: trying to make the iPad work.
2: (laughs) We have, uh, like, people on, like, digital nomads that use us in, like, a jungle in, like, Cambodia where they have, like, shitty Wi-Fi. The fact that, like, people... Oh, we have this one guy in... uh, uh, He's using it from uh, Bangladesh, and what he loves about it is that he doesn't have to use one machine anymore. Now he uses, like, three or four machines. His gaming PC, his MacBook Air, his uh, work computer, like... People are finding so many different ways to work. And the fact that they're able to improve their quality of life is what I, like, I'm a, a, I'm a lazy person. I try to make everything as convenient as possible. And when I hear that this makes people's lives better and, like, just so much more convenient, that really excites me because that's the kind of, like, value that I want to have in my life.
0: Yeah, I think the idea of just being able to pick up any device or like, you know, I like I have another computer behind me I use as a uh, stand-up desk because I've been sitting way too much and just, you know, apps like, I mean, Figma have made it really possible. Yeah. Whereas before I was using Adobe XD, which was like, you know, obviously local. I mean, it's it syncs to the cloud, but it's still a pain in the ass. Like obviously browser-based things are better or, or, or things that you can access like that. So it, it is beautiful to be able to just like switch device and just continue where you left off or, yeah, it, it's got to be the future. Right, like I feel like gaming is going that way as well. The Xbox Cloud stuff—if our internet didn't suck so badly here in Australia—I'd I'd be more into. But I'm fascinated that they can like load a game now, and you can just be on any device.
1: It actually works really well. I, I had it on my iPhone, and I, I bought a little controller to play it. And the controller came with a month for free, and I, I got sucked into it, and I actually subscribed. And it actually, works. I mean, probably like eighty percent of the games work really well. There's a twenty percent that maybe sometimes is a bit laggy, but it is incredible. I think there's the future. The future is like like product screens that just connect to the internet and you don't need like a hardware device. I think that's the future for sure.
0: Maybe you'll be coding in the metaverse next. that's that's the (laughs) the, the real (laughs) virtual machine, like the organized mind style with your your headset on. nish thanks so much for joining us it's been really great to talk to you um just like summing it up if you had advice like you're a startup or a business listening today going like hey this guy's super smart i I need to go build a database of all my potential customers do you have any tips for where they could start or how they should think about it
1: i
2: would say find the most data apt person in your team find the most hungry pirate type person in your team put them together and just like let them run wild. Let them run wild and come back to you with their wildest ideas that everyone's going to say no to and then unblock them. Let them go build that. And I think you'll see a ton of great results in doing that.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this, Nish. Awesome. Thank you.